question. I would say I've definitely have I definitely have a lot less time to mentor now than I than I thought I would. And that kind of sucks because I used to always think like, dude, like mentorship is something that I'm always gonna like focus on doing full throttle. And and I do. But at the same time, because I, I do have responsibilities working, because I also have responsibilities to my wife, like I also do have to take into account like I have to give 110% to every single thing that I'm doing. I'd like to welcome everyone to another episode of the Last Guy Podcast. I'm your host, Zeke, and this episode with my friend Zachary to talk about the importance of mentorship. I'd like to put content warning for any strong language used in this episode. And hope you have a nice day and enjoy the show. Start recording. All right, cool. So I usually do the intro over. Okay. So, well, first, thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. And so the first question I always ask is, what would your origin story be? That's a fair question. Um, I would say my origin story uh began as a little boy born and born and raised in brooklyn um i lived in uh east new york for roughly eight years and then from there i went to ghana and i lived in ghana for three years um and i always feel like it's very important to kind of talk about the west african kind of heritage just because i feel and, and this is something i guess i'm very proud uh, prideful about just the idea of like actually knowing like where i'm from because i feel like a lot of um, minorities sometimes just to know that they do have, have heritage somewhere else, but they can't actually tie it back to the roots. Um, and Ghana was awesome, man. Uh, unlike unlike United States uh, or just being in a Western society, there was more like a collectivist kind of narrative in the sense yeah. that people weren't really as individualistic. People were actually really looking to care about their neighbor. It wasn't just kind of like a high-buy situation, but if your neighbor had problems, you had problems and like, and, and vice versa. If the child was acting up, you also had rights like discipline the child. So everybody collectively was growing together for better or for worse. And, and when, when we had economic downturns, it was affecting everybody. And likewise, when things were good, everybody was, was, was successful as well. And I feel like that kind of promoted the idea of helping other people and realizing to kind of do things without giving back. I think that's where, that was probably the moment for me that kind of like stood out. Um, because essentially I didn't really understand the impact mm-hmm. initially while I was there. Cause I mean, I was eight years old, right? So like at eight years old, you're not thinking of like doing good things or whatever. You're thinking like, let me go play some soccer. Let me just go be an idiot and like run around and chase girls or whatever. Um, but as you grow older though, these things like leave an imprint on like your subconscious and eventually it kind of comes back at you. So then fast forward, I'm back in the U.S. I come back when I'm like 11 years old. Um, I went to this like private school in, in Woodside and that was a bit of a challenge because that's when I really had my first understanding of racism itself because I, ha- I I dealt with racism in the past but like I don't think I was aware at the time you know like because I because before I went to like a another private Islamic school as well but the issue was I was too young to really understand. I just thought that it was like just being bullied for the idea of just being bullied. I didn't know the bully was actually tied to just being black. And that was it, really. This time around, it was very, very, very clear. Like, all the typical black jokes in the book, dude, 
I got it. Like the fried chicken, the grape juice, the grape soda, the big lips. I mean, dude, like, the, I, I don't want to ruin the podcast with all the black jokes that I heard, but it was crazy, you know? Um, and I think initially it was very hurtful. Um, and I feel like all these are still relevant to the origin story because it's kind of kind of give better perspective as to who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really allowed me to kind of grow and take the world for what it is, both for the good and for the bad. And in a way, I kind of developed a bit of tough, uh, tough skin um, so that now kind of dealing with my job in corporate America or just my experiences with corporate America and some of the little kind of passive aggressiveness that you kind of go through because of my prior experiences, I'm better well, better well equipped to kind of handle it. Some things I don't take as personal because sometimes too, as minorities, sometimes we can overtake every single little thing as personal when that's not always the case. That's not to say that things aren't happening, but there could be somewhere we're looking to be offended as opposed to actually being in a position where someone's trying to offend us. Mm-hmm. And I feel like being in, having that kind of upbringing kind of, um, gave me that level of of of, uh, of external awareness to kind of see that, um, and then you know I went to Brew College and kind of like here I am now uh, about to graduate with a master's in tax. So super nice, nice. nice. Thank you. And <laughs> I know that was a bit long winded, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. And how would you represent that origin story, like a movie, book, memoir? That's a good question. Um, I like to write. Uh, I'm also an author, so I would probably write it out at one point actually i was thinking um i was thinking of writing this novel and the title was a very basic title and i like to keep my things simple it's going to be called Mm -hmm. the feeling of neglect um and the idea of that book was to kind of just like bridge the gap for those who sometimes felt a disconnect between their family in the event that did that they did have a family or they didn't have a family but kind of Mm -hmm. wanted to see that other people were experiencing that uh, level of emotions as well so that would ideally be be the novel that i'd like to write up at some nice. point yeah nice and so you said about how more collectors right so is that like what brought you into mentoring that idea of collectiveness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, oh so your question is about yeah. like like how like about like in terms of my opinion of collectiveness or what that means to me. What that did that bring did that spark like the notion of mentorship for you? Yeah, I would say so. Because mm-hmm. so for example, um when I when I first went to when I when I first went to Ghana, right? So like I was super young, eighth grade, and I also like went in the middle of the school year. And so like when you're going in the middle of the school year, as you can assume, you know, friends and connections have already kind of been made. And so you're you're a bit of an outcast, right? And you either have, usually there's one or two ways that you're going to start your school. Either you're going to be the uh, one of the, you know, in crowd, or you're going to be in the out crowd, possibly converting to the in crowd, or you might just stay in the out crowd for good. And that's really usually how it is. There's, sometimes you're, there's the occasional middle ground, but typically it's usually a hard left or right. Um, and I remember I, that was the first time when I really kind of saw people kind of sticking up for people. So I think I was in like third or fourth grade and I had like some issue with this fifth grade or whatever. And I kind of just started telling some of my friends about it um, in, in third or fourth grade. And literally all of a sudden the entire boys class of like class 4A and class 4B, cause that's what we call it there. We don't like do grades here, like the US system. They all like kind of gathered around me. I was like, who said what to you? Who did what to you? And like we all kind of like tried to like attack that one person. And for me, that was huge because like, 
I've never experienced that before. Because mind you, again, like I'm new, right? Um, At that point, there wasn't any knowledge of what part of Ghana I was living in. There was no knowledge of the fact that I was, I was a U.S. born and bred. You know what I mean? Maybe they could have told from the accent. I don't know. Like there wasn't just much of a dead giveaway. So I don't think they were doing it with the expectation of like getting anything in return. I think for them was sort of like, no, you entered this school. You're now part of us. And whatever happens to you, good, uh, bad or worse, we got you. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like left an imprint that like sometimes you have to take advantage of helping out people even when they're not necessarily going to be full like even the even when you feel like that um that motion of giving back might not necessarily be reciprocated and i think this kind of ties back to like with mentorship because with mentorship i feel you're in a position whereby you feel that you have advice you have resources you have a strong network you have connections you might be dealing with people who basically never had a cheerleader before and like for me, like I remember I was doing this leadership program and they asked us to write kind of like our motto, our motto. And I said, my motto is to be a cheerleader for those who've never been cheered before, to be able to kind of help people see the light that they weren't able to see for themselves. Because like, that's who my target market is. Like when I'm looking at, if let's say we walk into the room and Zeke, you're like, this dude is a, you know, a superstar. He's a star shooter. He's totally going to become like the president of the United States. Great for him. Right. And that's awesome. But that's not who I'm looking to mentor. Well, I'm looking at a mentor is a person who is told, you're the troublemaker. You're not going to make it. You're failing all your classes. It's just not possible for you, dude. Like, basically kind of being told that they're going to live up to the expectations of the self-fulfilling prophecy, that's who I want to mentor. Because mm-hmm. I feel I find more value in that, right? Because then now I can actually really, truly see the growth, the incremental growth. And I can also learn to be a better person as well. And then I could kind of relate to some of that moments because I wasn't always structured as I am today I mean you, you might see me on campus being like the structured person always like dressed up or whatever but like I wasn't always like that I, I used to be the kid that was a troublemaker I used to be the kid who was getting into fights um I used to be the kid who who um like wasn't necessarily the most the the the, the, uh, the most kindest person or the person who was eager to like respect people or respect people's opinion um but over time I kind of like change through the different experiences and so being able to kind of share that with someone else who's doubted as well to change them eventually from becoming that underdog to now becoming that champion it's a huge goal for me so i think it definitely correlates back to like that idea of collectivism in in, in ghana Um, because it left an imprint on my subconscious that i didn't even realize was was present at that time nice and then cool so with mentorship what kind of is your mentorship style? Are you like more hands-on, more like bad? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. So with mentorship, I would say I'm, I like to say that I, I'm, I'm very hands-on, but I also like to cater it around my mentee. And I guess I, I kind of could say I have like a mentorship story. So when I started out, I was basically like a sophomore group, right? And I was like, you know what? I want to make an impact here. I don't know what impact I want to do. There's Team Brew, there's clubs, there's organizations, there's USG. There's so many different opportunities for me to really set an imprint. But even beyond all the school stuff, I really want to do something for me that, like, regardless of Baruch, I can kind of take away and say, you know, Zachary, you did this. So I was like, you know what? I just did this little leadership program with EY, and I know that I'm going to, you know, start working for them this coming summer. Let me actually just try to be a campus ambassador and try to recruit people for EY or whatever, talk to them about big four experiences and so on and so forth. 
Um, and, and mind you, recruiting for big four is nowhere by any means difficult in comparison to say like investment banking or applying to get into like the, 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 the big four with respect to companies or marketing, or whatever. So it w- wasn't really that much of a challenge, but it was interesting because I never like did anything like that before. So next thing you know, I start like, you know, uh, interacting with freshmen, sophomore through the different programs that we had at our disposal. So like using, utilizing my mentees from Success Network, utilizing mentees from my, uh, from the peer mentor, the same way how we both teach freshmen uh, first year seminar. Um, and kind of talking to them about the different opportunities and things of that nature. Uh, and then making sure sometimes I would literally just attend accounting events, not to recruit, but just to ideally look for those people who kind of came off a little bit as introverted and didn't necessarily know what to do, what questions to ask. And I pulled them to the side and say, hey, man, I've seen that you're like in the corner alone by yourself. Um, what's going on? Like, are you are you interested or like were you here? You know, like kind of like building some 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 level of small talk. And a lot of times their 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 number one question to me was like, I really, I really want to work here, but I just don't know how to network. Like, what do you recommend? And then I was like, be yourself. But I was like, let me go one step further beyond that. Because I feel sometimes you kind of hear that cliche, be yourself. But it's like, what the hell does that mean? What does it mean to be yourself? Like, who is, who is the self? Who is thyself? And I was like, dude, try to bring it home to something that's central to this actual environment that you're in. So like for one guy that I met, uh, and I remember we're in the line and we're talking, I was like, all right. You see this food right now that we're about to eat? One of this, one of this items of the food, for example, is going to be something. It's going to taste good to you, right? You might like the chicken, you might like the guacamole, you might like the rice, whatever the case may be. When you find this person that you want to interact with, tie it back to this. Very simple. Just start talking about that, and then from here, maybe you can really start talking about your interest in culinary cuisine, right? Or you can talk about the fact that you enjoy your mom's cooking. Like just something to kind of bring it home to kind of build that level of connection. And then from there, you can really get to really what you're interested in. But then he was like, yeah, but what? If, but wouldn't that just be like basic small talk that doesn't really lead to anywhere? And I'm like, in my opinion, small talk usually doesn't work when you're talking about things you could give a damn about, right? So in other words, if I meet you, I'm like, hey, Zeke, like, how's the weather up there? Like, how many times have you heard that shit? Like, it's, it, it's, it's, not, it's not anything that really adds to value. But if I'm like, hey, Zeke, how's your family? And then like you start talking to me or family and I don't just like transition to something else because that's what typically people do. It's kind of like the hi, how are you? Before you answer, they don't really give a damn about your answer and they move on. But like, no, like, hey, how are you? How's everything going on? Like, what do you guys been up to? How's your July 4th? Like that kind of stuff. You start really building the oh, Okay, what's my July 4th and whatever, whatever. Then from there, we could kind of move like with the, we can, we can establish that strong rapport that can get us to somewhere. And so by recommending that to, to people and really walking them through different strategies based on their own personality, um, I was help, I was able to kind of then eventually kind of help them bridge the gap in um, fostering better connections um, and then showing them some, some tips and tricks that worked for me in terms of building memorable relationships. So I kind of broke it down to like a three-step process. And I was like, the first step is when you go to a networking function, you ideally want to think outside the box. When you, thinking outside the box means how can you leave a lasting impression? What can you do to bring up that will set you apart from all the other peers around you. One thing I noticed with networking functions is they don't always like to talk about their functional roles because they just got off work or they took some time off of work to come and talk about it. But ideally, if you could talk to them about something outside of work, they probably will remember you. Anything that's work-related that particular moment in time, especially if it's like a heat kind of function, they might like go answer your question, don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's necessarily gonna like set that, like set you truly apart. 
but if you're able to find like a commonality via like maybe a club or an org that you were a part of, or maybe some some type of community service that you did that you both might have you know shared in common or whatever, or if maybe they had a relative that did X Y Z, that can set you apart. And I always tell them like keep it short and sweet because sometimes in networking functions you'll have those students that kind of go in and try to talk to the recruiter or talk professional for like an hour at a time. If there's a long line behind you, they're also paying attention to how sensitive you are to the people around you. So try to cap it at like two, two, to, two to three minutes at max, depending on how long the line is, get a business card and follow up. And I tell people the most important thing here is not just going to the event or thinking outside the box, but it's the follow up. Because there's countless times where business, uh, business um, professionals have maybe 50, 60 business cards. But only two people are going to reach out. So who am I going to remember? The two, then the question now becomes how fluid is the conversation afterwards? So I recommend when you send that, when you send that follow-up, don't say a follow-up where it's just sort of like, hey, thank you for your time. I really appreciate meeting you. But ask questions. Clearly you want to know something about them. Clearly you want to know something about the, the company or whatever. Ask those questions that you actually want to know and make sure you're only asking things that you care about. Again, like I always say, we don't ask if you don't care about it. If you don't care to know, don't ask because it's going to get to a point where you're going to have like a boring moment in the conversation. And sometimes you really may, may not be able to break out of that boredom. And it's not because you two didn't click, but it's more so just because you both just didn't really care. I mean, and, 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 and so that level of fluid kind of just doesn't exist. Anymore. So after I saw people kind of taking into account the whole questions part of their follow-up that led, uh, that basically created a call to action for the uh, person on the other end who now has advice and could say, okay, cool. Um, let's either jump on a phone call so I could further discuss or let's meet in person at some point. So maybe we could discuss this over coffee. And then boom, right at that point, once you meet that face-to-face and you build that one-to-one connection where there's no other external distraction, you're good to go. And then you can really take the, co- the conversation however you want to take it and kind of get to wherever you want to go with it. And that's kind of like usually my, my um, initial goal for, for whoever I'm dealing with. I always recommend try to get a coffee or try to get maybe a 15-minute chat over the phone. Um, but definitely try to stand out with respect to the questions that you're asking and then and, and try to just showcase who you are via your interests and your questions. Nice. And with that, <laughs> <laughs> that's some good advice for me. I always kind of wonder how to connect with like professionals because like right. I, when I was a student, I didn't really have much to offer as like being a student. Cause I'm still trying right. to figure out who I am and what I'm trying to learn. And so I'm trying to figure out what questions to ask because mm-hmm. I don't know what I don't know. And right. Yeah. So with that, when you first took on a mentee, was it like mm-hmm. natural for you? Did it click or did you have to learn about yourself as you were trying to learn about them? I think, I think that's a great question. So I think when it, come, when it, when I came, when it comes to like my first mentee, in an official capacity, it was interesting because this is where my structured personality kind of came in. And then I realized, ideally, mentorship should be a little bit more fluid and not so structured. And it didn't really work out too much. And I noticed that there was a massive disconnect between me and the mentees that I was interacting with. And the reason being is because I was trying to create this like by by the book method that made the most sense but then i forgot to take into account we as individuals we're extremely dynamic we're not static we change we interact differently we like to joke and we like to laugh like we don't no one wants to just be be talked to but they want to be talked with 
you know? And I think once I kind of understood that factor is when I started to take into account the personality factor. And I realized there's some people that I might interact with where honestly, they're not looking for a conversation. They just want you to come in, you guys develop an execution plan and that's it. And you call it a day. Thank you. Thank you. And cool. And that's it. There's other people who are like, no, dude, like before I actually start taking your advice, in a way, I want us to somewhat have a friend, an amiable relationship. Because through that, now I can actually kind of trust you because now I feel like you truly do have my self-interest at heart. And so for those individuals, I'd focus on building and fostering a genuine amiable relationship. I'll ask them about their family. I'll ask them about their, their, their um, interests, their hobbies. Um, if I find opportunities that can align with their interests that I think would be great for them, not necessarily great for me because it's not about me, it's about them, you know, recommending that to them. If I know someone that is looking for, say, maybe a person to go play badminton with, I might say, hey, listen, I remember you said you're interested in badminton. I have a friend who's looking for a badminton player to play, you know, every once in a while. Do you think you'd be interested in connecting? And they connect. And kind of just showing that interest that you actually really were being attentive to when they were telling you your interest goes a long way. You know, because sometimes people just don't do that. You know, like we say that we kind of care about our friends and what they're talking to us about or whatever. But like, do we? Do we really put our mouth where do we do we really put our mouth where our mouth is? Like when I was doing networking at one point, I used to sometimes go to like art events. That's not because I have an interest in art. Like, no offense to artists or whatever, but I I don't really care too much about art. I have an interest in literature, but not like action actual, you know, physical art, like Picasso, Mona Lisa, like that kind of stuff. Like, I'm, that, that's not something I'm fond of, but I have friends and peers that are very much who are interested in that. And so the question now becomes like, how can I be an asset to them, right? Because I'm in a tax world, which is pretty small, you know, and, and in comparison to, to things like art or things that, you know, are, are more in the discretionary side that people really do have an interest in, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes harder to kind of break that transition. There's not necessarily always a structured way to enter into that world. And so by me going in, interacting, getting business cards um, and kind of showing face, I was able to now build that gap for some of these peers that didn't necessarily have the motivation or the courage to go in and interact with some of these professionals at that point in time. And that was able to help them build their network essentially. So sometimes I didn't just network for myself, but for the people around me as well. Nice. And Thanks. Cool. Because me, I think I'm more of a reluctant leader where I have the skills set to do it, but I don't always want to take that extra step. Mm-hmm. And then like, there's a lot of times where people push me to, like, there's like, okay, we're going to give you this, we're going to give you this job because of your own um, personality, your skill set. And I'm always trying to, like, I'm right now, I'm starting to learn by myself and my leadership right. how and how to better mm-hmm. interact with other people. Yeah. Because I'm older, I'm an older brother, so I have like, I have to be a mentor mm-hmm. Almost automatically, because I have a younger sibling who looks up to right. me, it emulates me. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I totally, I totally feel that. I have, I have a, I have a younger sibling as well. And for me, I used to, I, I used to like when people say like, "What's your biggest motivator?" In a weird way, it's a very abstract concept. But I believe whenever I tie success or an ambition to something that's abstract, I tend to do a lot better than when I. Than when I align it to something tan- tangible. So I always tell them like, so before I was married, I used to say it's myself 10 years from now. That's my greatest motivator. Like as in 10 years from now, would I be happy with what I'm doing today? That would be something I would usually ask myself before I made these like difficult decisions. Now that I'm married, my new question always is, 
how would my son feel if he were to hear that I was doing this? Would that make him proud to say, wow, like my dad is doing X, Y, Z? Or would that change his perspective of me and say, wow, I can't believe my dad did that. And believe it or not, like that's how, that's helped me really like get through some very tough, difficult decisions. And I, and, and it's interesting because again, it's abstract. Like who's the Sam going to have a freaking son? Like Kobe had three daughters. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he knew for a fact he was going to have only daughters, you know, RIP Kobe, but like it, it, it happened, you know, but just me thinking of like my unborn child kind of gives me that motivation to really try to be the best person I could be. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to make any mistakes. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't have any flaws. I definitely have all of the above, but it just gives me some sense of clarity and a better sense of direction in terms of how to move. So I totally understand your, your perspective with respect to having a younger sibling and trying to like live right by them so that you could really coach them and, and be the best mentor you can for them. Because essentially you're the first emblem that they see. Yeah. Especially living in a single parent household, pretty much like, Oh yeah. Kind of that, that figure they kind of emulate. Like, right. Okay, cool. This is the decisions you make. And this is what right. you don't make. And how do you, how do you find, how do you find that dynamic? Do you find your siblings to be, uh, retentive or like to what you're saying like do you find that they actually take into account whatever it is you're recommending or is it kind of like nah zeke is big brother i don't really care what zeke says i'm gonna do what i want to do i think it's a mixture of both depending on like the situation because it's how me and my okay. brother we argue we butt heads because like we're very similar but we have like right differences and like those like interests and stuff like that so like sometimes i can hear him mm-hmm. emulating my words and like emulating my style that's just right. within the same house, we have a similar mindset. But then there's times, since he has like a totally different um, skill set, like he's more English based, while I'm more like math based. I can right, see him right, right. Uh, still trying to figure, force his own path, even though he still mm-hmm. went to the hook. So, right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, we're currently okay. in the same school for two, different, for two different reasons. Got it. So is his goal to be like an English professor or something? or? I think he's still trying to craft that because I know okay. when I was, I just graduated college at the same time you did. And then we just like, it's still, I'm still trying to build what I'm going to do. So I think. Right. And he, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and the great thing is we're both, we're, we're all young. So yeah, essentially we, we have that time. Cause like I graduated. Yes. You know, and I'm in my career fine, but like, do I like, am I sure? Am I fully, fully certain? Like I really want to do this for those in my life. I don't know. You know, and I, and I feel like that's also one thing that, like, I feel people don't know about me. Like, I've always really been confused. I just I just kind of live by the philosophy of whatever you're going to do, do 150%. So that if you do happen to change your mind, as in, like, you do decide that you want to stay in this, whatever, like, people can look back and say, okay, like, this person really, like, loves what they do. They do a great job at it, et cetera. Um, as opposed to, like, half-assing something. And then if you do that, then, like, now, like, if you were to leave and try to come back, people don't really want you back because it's like when you were there, you weren't really giving it your all. You know what I mean? So I guess in a way, it's kind of like that fake it till you'll make it principle, but but just fake it well, if that makes sense. As opposed to just like faking it, but kind of like, eh. So I totally feel you on that. It's And, and I think it's common for, for people our age also to be really confused in terms of what we actually want to do. Because who's like, we can't freaking predict 20, 40 years from now, dude. Like it's just yeah. not possible. I mean, if if we could, dude, you and I would be billionaires, dude. Like, we probably wouldn't even be zo- doing Zoom chats. Like, we'd be making money moves. You feel me? But 
here we are on a podcast. So, you know, I, I, I totally feel you on that. And then with that, a lot of times in high school, they'll be like, you become a tutor. And then, like, they want, like, the reason why I was, like, a seek mentor because my counselor recommended me to, like, um, what you call it? To, like, help students with, like, being, like, that role model with, like, you know, how I saw the school that was always involved in everything. But mm-hmm. I was always trying to, I always struggle with, like, connecting with people because, like, with school, a lot of, a lot of students, they have, like, that trouble of adjusting, like, to the academics. But I didn't really have that because... Right. I was used to right. my since my high school just working hard and out working and like just getting the hardest mm-hmm. classes and stuff like that. And then also um how to explain to somebody how to do things I do because I've been doing a lot of them since I was in sixth grade. Like that was like the year where I started right. building these different skill sets like just being involved on camp, being involved in, in school and then just excelling. So I was really trying wondering how to like bridge that gap. So you said that you were involved heavily with tutoring and I, I think I missed okay. a little bit because it, it broke up. Um, so like I said, like from the beginning, like high school is when I really realized mm-hmm. that, um, what you call it? People wanted to push me into that um, mentoring role because I was a tutor of my sophomore year and my senior year. Right. Also my senior year, mm-hmm. my principal made me his, like, a teacher assistant for him. Okay. So it was, like, being in that role, I was, like, I was getting used to it. So it was, like, trying to connect with people. And then when I got to Baruch, it was more, like, not how I actually connect with people because I don't have that same struggle with academics as a lot of my students do. And how, mm-hmm. do, I, how do I explain my reasoning for just always being involved? Mm-hmm. Like that. And, so, and so how'd you go about doing that? Uh, right now I'm starting to f- like under- uh, understand myself and mm-hmm. saying how, why I do the thing. So I've realized that it was sixth grade when I first, like that was like the spark because that's when I joined the math team. We went to a math competition. We lost, but it showed that like, I'm still doing things outside of the classroom. And then, um, just like being there for my students, I want I might not be there for academically, but I can always give them the tips I learned, and mm-hmm. uh, um, be there probably emotionally, or mm-hmm. anything like that. Like not just academically, but like being there for if there's something else that I see that they might not see, right. or like just being there for them, mm-hmm. I might try um help out that way. Got it. And also keep in mind, dude, there's no, there's, there's never really a thing like a loss, right? Yeah. Um, and the reason why I say that, I say that for two reasons. There's one a quote that I developed that I, that I, that I find to be very, uh, to be very uh, silly and corny, but I like to use it. Uh, sometimes my, my friends tease me for it. And then there's another thing that I like to use that, that truly makes sense. And this is something I heard. I can't remember who I heard it from, but the line goes, so in terms of a quote that I heard, it's sort of like, you never lose so long as you're learning. And the only time you stop learning is when you stop breathing. And so likewise, unless you're dead, you're still learning. And so you didn't lose that math competition. You learned something from it. Because now you could kind of know if you, if you were in the same scenario where you were put in that exact same math competition, you'd perform a lot differently now than you would have before. Because you learned. 
um, when you're not learning, that's when you're losing, right? So like a stock market, like if you invest into the stock market and you lose several grand, that sucks. But what are you going to do with that loss? Are you going to now capitalize on it in terms of understanding better sense of risk management or changing your strategy? Or are you going to continue to lose? You know what I mean? Um, and then my courting line that I like to use is I like to say that if you look at a W, a W is kind of like two L's kind of joined together. If you think about it, right? Because there you go. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's very corny. And Fred teased me about it. But oh, like every win takes several losses. That's basically my, my philosophy and my belief. And my belief is that like the more you lose, the more you're setting yourself up to win. Because in my opinion, if you're constantly winning and you're never losing, sometimes you don't actually necessarily know why you won. And some of that winning partially could be part of luck. And because you're not able to kind of do a self-assessment as to what were the good things that you did, when you lose, sometimes you don't know how to deal with that. But if you're in a position where you've lost a lot, when that win comes in, it hits you different. You feel me? It's kind of like you ever had that class where like you're bombing it? You know, and, you're, and you start going to the professor's office hours and you're like, yo, damn, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm thinking about changing my major or whatever, right? And then, you know, come final time, like, you ace it, you know? And the professor is looking at you like, yo, this is crazy. When I say professor, it could also apply to high school as well. Like, you kill it. And, like, you feel, you feel great. Now, take that around unless you started acing class initially. And then come final time, you bomb the class and now your average goes down. Which one, which one makes you feel better? It's not so much, yeah, because it's where you, it's not so much where you start that I like to tell people. And this is where my dad kind of gave me this quote before I started college. He said, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. That matters at the end of the day. Like, no, like when you're going for a job interview, they're not going to say, what was your GPA freshman year? What was your end of your, uh, end of your college career GPA? Because they know that there's so many ups and downs around it. But what were you doing during that time? Were you learning from some of the lessons? Or were you just kind of like basking in your sadness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just when you said the last thing, I just felt the need to kind of drop that. Because I feel sometimes, too, our word choices do play a role with how we take, um, with how we um, interpret certain things. Oh, yeah. I also learned how to lose from that competition. Like, I learned that. Okay, I know I hate losing, but mm-hmm. to accept that I lost and to keep yes. moving forward. And that's a big move in itself. Mm-hmm. And now that you transitioned from like a student to a professional, how has like mm-hmm. that change been? And like also mentoring, how did you feel like a change in the role since you're not a student anymore and people students look at you different? That's a good question. So I still do mentorship and, and I'm still technically still, still a student, right? Because um, I, I have one more summer class left uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to get my master's and then I'll have it in August. But until then, I like to still consider myself a student. Um, people don't, but I, I like to. Um, and yes, there is a definitely, definitely different outlook. So like I had a family friend reach out to me recently and she's trying to break into the fashion industry. Right. Um, her parents aren't really supportive of it. They're kind of like, fashion, what is fashion? Go become a doctor, lawyer, engineer. But I don't really care about these conventional and traditional jobs, dude. Like, whatever it is that you want to do, go do it. If you are passionate and you believe that you can get it done, I'm going to help you get there. 
So as soon as she kind of brought up the fact that she's in, in fashion, I hit up all my friends that like are somewhat tied to the fashion industry, whether that is doing advertising for these fashion agencies or creating their own fashion brands and trying to get some insight and see if I could like spread her network via that way. Helping her out with her cover letter and her resume just from a structural, functional perspective and, and kind of like just prepping her in terms of mindset. Um, but then at the end of the conversation, the feedback that I received from my dad, because my dad and her mom are family friends, is she was like, um, how old is Zachary? Because like he sounded very old on the phone. And then when my dad was like, oh, yeah, Zachary's just actually a year old than you. Like she was mind blown. She was just like, what? Like I felt like I was talking to this like big adult and my dad was talking to someone who's just a year older than me. And I'm like, and, and it kind of made me feel really good because even when I was in college, like as a sophomore at one point, I was actually coaching graduate students at Peru, which is huge because I didn't even have my degree at that point. And yet I'm, you know, being able to coach a master's degree. My, the oldest person I ever like coached was a person who literally had a JD. So that means he graduated law school, came to Brooke to get a master's in that. And that's someone, and that was by far like my biggest like accomplishment. Like this is freaking lawyer. Like the insight that they could give me is endless. And yet I was able to kind of, kind of help them coach them through a process. But, but in terms of your, your original question of, of um, do I find a transition? I, I feel yes. I feel like there's a, different, there's a different level of perspective. And sometimes I can see the anxiety kind of swell up on students because they think they're talking to a professional. They don't want to like mess up or say anything that, that I guess they feel like will make them look bad. But I keep on trying to draw them to understand like, dude, I'm a student and I was a student and I, in life I will always be a student because I like to say that I like to define myself as, as being a learner. Um, and I don't look for you to be perfect. I don't look for you to use, you know, um, industry jargon, nor do I expect you to speak uh, in a structured function like I do or whatever. Like you can fully express yourself in the best way that's suitable for you. Get your point across as long as like there's no disrespect involved, like we're fine. Like we can, we can get, we can get around it. Right. Because I feel like language sometimes, if you kind of get into the particulars of, you know, the nuances of how someone should say something in the syntax and all that, sometimes that in itself can create a tension within the conversation because it's not a natural conversation. You know what I mean? And like, I feel like the best way to talk is, is the way that you talk. To really, to really kind of put it in a nutshell. Uh, and so kind of like when I, when, I, when I put that into perspective, people kind of then ease up a bit and they realize it could be themselves. Um, in terms of timing, I would say I've definitely have. I definitely have a lot less time to mentor now than I, than I thought I would. And that kind of sucks because I used to always think like, dude, like mentorship is something that I'm always going to like focus on doing full throttle. And, and I do, but at the same time, because I, I do have responsibilities working because I also have responsibilities to my wife. Like I also do have to take into account, like I have to give 110% to every single thing that I'm doing. And so to ensure that I'm not overburdening myself because at one point in time, I probably had about five to 10 mentee meetings a week with different mentees, right? Um, now it's probably like one every two to three weeks that I might really have a call that someone like needs help or something. It's like a text type, ask me a question, I'll like write them a long paragraph or they send me something via email and I'm like, uh, and, I, and I turn around um, things usually within two weeks, which kind of sucks because before my turnaround time would be 24 to 48 hours. Now it's like, a week to two weeks. And, 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 and I know it, it's not ideal, but now I actually understand when like professionals get back to us late 
And we as students were like, like, if you don't want to hire me, like, you could have just said so. Right? <laughs> but then I realized, like, that's not the case, dude. Like, it's nothing against you. It's just like, life is real, dude. Like, after college is when I started to realize, like, dude, this ain't no joke. Like, we play around thinking, like, like, because in, in college, we don't value time. You know what I mean? We think that everybody has the same type of time that we have. And we're doing our little part-time job, our little part-time internship, or maybe a full-time job even. And we're like, but I'm able to handle it. Yeah, but you're not doing your career, though. You know what I mean? Like, you're doing, you're doing a side hustle for a moment to kind of give you some steady income to kind of handle your business. But you're not doing, like, your main bread and butter, right? It's a different type of mentality. And, and, and I think this is why, I guess, our parents sometimes tell us, you're going to keep on, you know, disagreeing with the advice I'm giving you, but there's certain things that you just have to live and, like, that's kind of what I learned through this, like, professional kind of thing. Like, now I started realizing where I sometimes professionals cancel a meeting. I used to sometimes take it personal. Like, dude, like, this is our, in my head, I'd be like, dude, like, this is our third time rescheduling. What, like, what the hell is going on? Like, am I just not that important? But then I realized, like, no, like, things come up and you still have responsibilities, right? Um, so I, I think that's something that kind of sucks because I have to find a way to communicate that to my mentees while also ensuring that they also feel valuable. And that's a challenge that I'm struggling with right now as of today. Because there's certain people that I need to get back to, that I want to get back to, but then I get occupied in some of these other things that take away my time. And then I realize time management is super, super important. So versus before, like I could have a conversation with someone and I would feel like the conversation isn't going anywhere, but I would still entertain the conversation because I felt that maybe somewhere through the conversation it might get better and you might really be able to get to the bread and butter of whatever the person needs now it's more so like the initial conversation like if we can build rapport great and if we can't build rapport then then let's at least get to the let's at least try to get to some of the questions so i can really be a better help we kind of can't get to that i usually try to cut the conversation pretty short not to be rude but just from a time management perspective because i'm allocating an hour to you and we're just both talking about nonsense and that wasn't the intention of the conversation. Because mind you, like, not every conversation is going to be serious. Like, like, I could literally just call you just for us to, like, roast each other, right? Like, and we could talk for two hours about that. That's not, that's fine. Like, that's still a valuable conversation because that was the intention. But the intention was for me to mentor you. And for that hour, we're not discussing anything around mentorship. That's kind of a waste of time, in my opinion. Because, like, again, we didn't just say, let's just have a conversation. And wherever it goes, it goes. It was more so, like, we're here to talk about X, Y, Z, and we're not talking about that. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's something that I guess I, I've been very, very mindful of in terms of my conversations at the moment and interactions. Cool. But coronavirus has, has made it easier, though, because, like, now I'm able to, like, in a way, I have more time because I'm home and I don't have to worry about, like, the commuting factor. So, like, I don't have to worry about, like, you know, staying in the office an extra two hours to talk to someone or, like, trying to get home as soon as possible so I can jump on a call. Now I'm basically home all the time. So whatever free time I have that I can, I, I try to do whatever it is I can to, to connect with uh, my uh, mentees. Nice. Thanks. And to circle back to the beginning of mentorship, what does mentorship mean to you? Oh, dude, I, I love that question. Um, mentorship means... Mentorship means paying it forward because you understand the value of what people have done for you in the past and what people will continue to do for you in the future. The reason why I say that, dude, is we hear, how many times have you heard the term self-made millionaire, self-made entrepreneur, self-made this, self-made that? I don't believe in that shit. 
I don't care what Forbes defines it to be. That's bullshit to me. The reason why I say that, dude, if you're keeping it blunt, no one's self-made. Kylie Jenner's not a self-made billionaire. Why do Jeff Kardashian? LeBron is a self-made millionaire because, again, like, he worked hard, but he also had coaches down the way. Players sometimes are only as good as their coaches. Hence why usually when there's a coach that's not able to coach LeBron, that coach gets fired pretty soon. But then he still gets a better coach that's able to help him become better. He understands that he needs something. I need, in order for me to be a better mentor, I need to have strong mentors myself. And I'm actively looking for mentors. I don't just kind of keep whoever I have and say, okay, well, now I have five and I've been doing great as a mentor. I'm good. I don't need any self-improvement. I don't need any self-development. I'm chilling. I'm great. I'm perfect. No, that's not true at all. I'm constantly looking for people to learn from. And sometimes I learn from people who I don't even have interactions with. Like my, like a person who inspires me the most and it's probably Simon Sinek. Like I read his book, Start With Why, and that book changed my life because he talks about this principle of the golden circle. And he says, there's three circles and these are very, very important circles that's going to shape up how and why we do things. So he says, why is your small, your innermost circle? The middle circle is your, um, is your, your how, and then the outermost circle is your what. And he says, a lot of us, a lot of people can say, what do we do? What do I do? I'm an international tax consultant. I advise corporations on how to um, lower their tax liability with international, um, with international transactions, right? That's how I could say, like, what I do. How do I do it? I look at the different tax treaties. I look at the different set of facts and the issues and the guidelines to therefore uh, help walk them through different scenarios and, and find the, the best potential outcome. Why do I do it? That's a hard question. Because then you could say, I do it for the money. Is that really why? Because if you're doing something for money, you can do anything. I could be a stripper for money. You know what I mean? Like, so why do it? So every time you kind of get that why question, it's hard to, it's hard to really answer it. And this is where like my little, little bit, tiny, tiny knowledge of, psych, of psychology comes in. I say super, super tiny. So like, I'm not a doctor or anything, but I'm about to hit you with some, some psychology knowledge. Oh, you probably know this already, but like, you know, like how there's two parts of the brain, um, the neocortex and like the limbic uh, system. And so like the neocortex is like how we like do things that we normally do. Like I take a cup, I drink water, I, I walk, I function, I, I, I speak or whatever. The limbic part of your brain though is, is where like, if I were to ask you, hey Zeke, why do you love your mom? That's a very hard question for you to answer. Like you could give me as much responses as you want. And I would be like, well, I'd be very well by your answer, right? But you, as you giving the answer, you won't even really feel like you actually answered it the way you really wanted to answer. And even if I would ask you the question 50 times, you still would never get to that. And that's the limbic part of the brain. And that's triggered by the why. And I feel like a lot of people, we function on, 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 on autopilot, on the neocortex, but we don't think about the limbic. And I feel that if we do start to really think about the limbic side of why do we do things? Like, let's think from a purpose-driven perspective, why am I doing something? It really helps you um, grow. And so for me, the mentorship has always been uh, uh, purpose-driven. I don't care that people are watching me. I don't care that people are aware of the fact of mentorship. I care to see that my mentee succeeding. And when my mentee asks me, hey, what can I do for you in return? My number one thing that I always tell them is, hey, listen, when you find someone that's just like how you are today, 
seeking my help, do exactly what I did for you to them. That's it. That's all I want from you. Continue that legacy. Show me that you are thankful. Show me that you have gratitude by you being able to take some of the knowledge that I was able to impart on you that helped you get to a better uh, level or got, help you get to the next step and pass that on to someone else. Because I wasn't self-made. I wasn't, you know, always the, the person that had the insight and had some of the answers. I was able to get that through my interactions with people. And likewise, same thing for you, you're starting out. Be able to reciprocate that to people moving forward. And that makes me feel great because I feel like when I, when I saw the movie Pay It Forward, like that's basically what I understood from that movie. And I saw that movie and I was like in seventh grade, dude. And like, I was mind blown. Like I saw that movie and I was like, this kid is a freaking genius. I mean, I know it's a movie. And I know it's like, yeah, acting, whatever. But like, the principle just really, really connected with me, man. And from there, I was like, whatever that, whatever that kid did, I want a part of it. Because that's, that's what I want my branding to be. You know, and that's, that's, that's literally how I move. And so for me, it's like giving advice, giving insights, talking on panels, whatever the case may be, any engagement opportunity I have, I go full throttle at it. Because um, I feel like if you have knowledge, you should share it. What good is it you keeping it? You know, because Les Brown said, the greatest ideas are found in the graveyard. So if you take a moment and you really just process that quote, what does that tell you? A lot of people had a lot of ideas. Either one, they didn't share it and they died with it. Or two, they shared it, they talked about it, but they weren't able to be about it. And so therefore they died with it. I like to challenge myself with a quote that says it's lonely at the top and crowd up at the bottom. And I like to say, as I'm climbing up the top, I want to bring people with me. And this kind of somewhat goes with like the NABA quote, lifting as we climb. But really what I'm really trying to focus on is, dude, when I'm at the top, I want, I want you to call Zeke and be like, yo, Zeke, let's go, to, let's go to France, bro. And I want you to be like, yeah, you know what, screw it. Like, I'm chilling. Like, let's out. You know, like, I want to be able to, you know, call whoever it is and like, like let's, let's make moves. Like, let's go enjoy life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, wh why should we, why should it be that? that I need to just, you know, keep on giving loans to people or I need to keep on, like, whatever. Like, why can't we all eat? You know, like, why can't we all, like, help each other? Like, like what if, let's say, you created, like, a podcast company and I'm, like, your tax dude and then, like, you're, like, the dude who's handling the podcast and we have another person taking care of marketing and then another person who's maybe creating, like, the, 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 the graphic design to, like, make it, like, look cool or whatever. I don't know the terminology or whatever, right? So I'm not going <laughs> to try to mix stuff up. But, but the point that I'm trying to make is, like, we can all eat. You feel me? And so, like, that's, that's what I like to see. Like, I like to see people eating and finding ways to make ourselves eat. And we could do that collectively. And that's why I was talking about, like, the whole Ghana approach in terms of being a part of a collectivist society. You realize that the benefit of when you have people in sync because it creates synergy. And when, you're being, when, you, when you have that synergy, it leads to better efficiency. And when you're all efficient as a team, better effective results. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, 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 I know I, I might have extended a little bit further from the original question of, of um, what does mentorship mean? But I just felt like since I was kind of going there, like I might as well kind of kept, keep on going because the, 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 the thoughts are coming to my head. But, but I, I feel like it's still like relevant. I feel like there's at least some, some positive takeaways from what I mentioned. But yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> Inside that, you mentioned how you've always looked for somebody to be your mentor, right? Uh, um, I heard yeah. that you um, had to have, like, your board of directors in your life. I forgot where I heard it from, where you have, like, people you go to and that you bounce off ideas from them. And I want to see, how do you go about doing that in your life? Mm -hmm. 
Oh yeah, that's that's a very very good question. So um, I did actually um, I do have I do have um, board of directors in my life, um, and they all serve like different purposes. Um, and these are people that I check in with usually. I'd say either quarterly or semi-annually, or sometimes annually, depending on uh, how busy they are or the the, the, the dynamic of our relationship. Um, for some people, it's more so focused around sponsorship. And sponsorship is sort of like, hey, I'm looking to make this career transition, or I'm looking for this promotion. How do I, how do I go about doing that? And I was able to talk to one of my mentors from EY, and we were able to like work to help 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 myself kind of accomplish that goal. And so like now coming now, even though I graduated and, and I'm now interning for the firm, I'll be starting as a staff too. So I'll actually be getting promoted from staff one to staff two, just off of starting full time because I've been with the company for a little, a, a, a little close to two years now. So my, my experience with the firm and my interactions with, with the people that I worked with all were positive and that kind of led me to, to getting this opportunity. But again, the opportunity didn't come just strictly from my work ethic. It also came from having a sponsor that was able to kind of advocate and say, I'm willing to put my political capital on the line for Zachary. Zachary has shown me that he's capable of handling this level of responsibility. I'm able to do that. Another case scenario, when I was in Australia, um, this person that I was working with had a mentor that was a, um, she was a CFO of a um, of an airline company in, uh, in, in Australia. And he, he asked me like, if we were to set up a conversation with the CFO, what are some questions you think we should ask? You know, because if you're meeting with someone of like such a high, sta- uh, you know, a high status or whatever, like you definitely don't want to, like you, you want to ideally find like some high level type questions to ask them, right? Because nitty gritty things or, or things in a granular detail, they might not be able to answer that because that's not, that's not really how they think or program to think. And I didn't have the answer. You know, that was, that was one of the few times where someone asked me a question. I really didn't really know what to ask. So I hit up one of my mentors and I was like, hey, this is a situation. This is the, this is, um, I, I have the meeting tomorrow or sometime at the end of this week. I can't remember what it was. How do you think I should go about doing this? And then he sent me a bunch of articles to read and he kind of gave me some, some suggestions. And from that, I kind of went back to, to the guy and I was like, hey, these are some of the things that I think we should, these are how I, how I feel like we should guide the conversation. And when we had the conversation, it was a lovely conversation because we took some of that approaches. So when I need the help, I make sure to take advantage of it. Or if someone asks me a question, I really don't have the answer to it. And I know that one of my mentors might have that. I look back. I also look to my dad for advice sometimes. Um, he tends to really give me advice when it comes to understanding how to pace myself because sometimes I have this strong go-getter mentality that I start speeding through things and it usually leads me to burnout. And it also leads me to not appreciate taking things one step at a time, which is important, right? Because with college, for example, like I was heavily involved, but while being heavily involved, I don't feel like I truly grasped the moments that I really would have liked to. Like, I feel like I wasn't necessarily always fully present. Like my wife criticized me and says, you're always thinking, you're always thinking. And she's right. Like I am always thinking, right? Like you and I could be sitting in a room and we're focusing on, you know, figuring out what the next move is for our podcast. And I'm focusing on the podcast, but I'm not thinking, okay, but what if, 
10 years from now, what, what do I want to do with this, with this, with this Let's Gather podcast? Like, what, what, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking like long-term and mind you, dude, you're just asking me like, yeah, but I'm just actually just talking about next week. You feel me? Like I'm just always out there. And so it's like, you and I are, are talking about, you know, next week or whatever. And I should really just be fully in tune with just next week. Cause that's really what the primary type of conversation is. But I wonder, not from like an ADHD perspective, but I wonder like really further out because I'm just always thinking further out. But like, if you're thinking so far ahead and you're not physically in present, time passes you by so quickly. Because think about it, you're setting all these milestones and these milestones are so far ahead. Because if I'm setting a 10 year milestone, every single day, I'm just looking forward to that, to hitting that 10 year milestone. But what am I doing on a day-to-day basis? Yes, I'm doing the things to get me there, but I'm on autopilot because I'm not physically present. And that's something I'm trying to actively work on. So that's something I also talk to my board of directors about. And that's why they recommend like, hey, when you go to have fun, focus on having fun. Don't try to freaking elongate the fun or time the fun. Just like have fun, dude. And like, let things go. If you're having a conversation that you find to be one that's adding value, enjoy it for a while while you can make it last. Don't focus on how you can make it the best type of conversation or this may be. Stop trying to always make everything be about being the best or being the worst. Not everything's so black and white like that. Because I'm not sure if you ever took the Gallup Strength Finder test, but my number one, right. So you, you're probably, you're probably going to be aware of this, but like my number one attribute was achiever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was achiever, focused learner, competition, and restorative. So with achiever, I'm always constantly thinking of ways to win, 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 win competition i have to win learner i'm looking to learn and focus once i'm in on something dude like a fire could be happening around me and i will not even be able to see like that's i have a killer sense of focus which could work out but can also suck so when crunch time happens and i need to focus i'm getting it done but likewise at the same time a lot of things are on hold and that becomes a problem because like when you also have a family where the case may be and you're so focused into your work and you're not able to allocate time to them They'll feel some type of way, but you're so focused that you don't realize that you're sometimes focusing on the wrong things. Because at the end of the day, school and jobs are not things that are here to stay. They're only here for a temporary amount of time, but our family and and, and our friends are are here to ideally stay for a long time. And if we're not adding value to them, same way how we expect to get value from them, they can also cut cut us off. Because that's the thing with this cut off, with this, you know, cut off, cut off movement. People are like, no new friends, no new friends, cut off everybody, whatever, fine. But like, Everybody's always focusing on cut off this, cut off that, but they don't focus on the fact that we can be cut off too. Because we're always looking at the outside and thinking the outside is negative when we don't realize that we can be toxic as ourselves. And I always have to be self-introspective and ask myself, am I being toxic to my friends? Am I adding value to my friends? You know? And so usually like after COVID is over and, and before COVID, I made a goal where it's like every week I wanted to make sure I went out to eat or went out to catch up with at least three friends. And we do something and, and we're fully in the moment. And I'm not talking about my job. They're not talking about their job. We're just talking about what we want to do in life. We're talking about our, that moment and that moment that we're in. Like, how can we truly maximize this experience? Because, dude, life is too short. Like, keep in mind, like, dude, Kobe died right after their retirement, bro. Like, that's real. You know? Like, like you look at, you know, Ahmed you know, Armand Arbery, and you you look at George Floyd, like, these people were relatively young people, bro, and, like, they died just like that. Benjamin Hartford, bro, like, a kid who graduated from Baruch College passed away. You know what I'm saying? And so it really really hits you in some perspective, and you're like, yo, 
screw this whole freaking 40, 50, 60 year old, you know, 60, you know, out in the future mantra. To an extent, we need to focus about today, though, because I don't know that I'm going to get up to go to, you know, to, 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 to see tomorrow. But I want my friends and my family to know that I love them, to know that I actually care about them, to know that I appreciate them sticking around when I was doing the dumb shit that I was doing. And also to know that I really appreciate them when I was going through the dark times and they were there to hold it down, you know? And how do you go about doing that? Well, constantly give that sense of reassurance. Don't say you're going to wait for a time that you're a millionaire to start giving back. How do you know that they're going to live to see you become a millionaire? How do you know you're going to even live to make that happen? You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's like how I try to think now. Because like, I realize like life is too short for us to be caught up in these like super long-term goals and not really focus on what we could be doing on a short, short-term basis. Because it matters, man. It matters. So yeah, that's kind of where my head is at right now in terms of really trying to make sure that like my relationships are seriously on point and make sure anything that I do is something that adds value to me and also adds value to someone else. Because if, again, if I'm receiving value and I'm not giving out value, that's a negative because then I'm being selfish. And I try my best to cut down on the selfishness. Keep in mind, there's always going to be selfish decisions at play. I'd be lying to you if I told you I was a fully selfless person. I'm definitely not. But I try my best to be as selfless as I can to the extent that I can. Good. Good stuff. Um, <laughs> for me, my strengths are includer, arranger, achiever, learner, mm-hmm. and responsibility. So I understand, like, because my brain right now, I'm also trying to pay Oh, I see that. Yeah. How? How do you see that? Yeah, yeah I see that. Arranger, yeah, yeah. So you'd be, like, trying to arrange information. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, I'm always. I, I was saying because, like, with, with the with the like when you say when you say arranger, because mm-hmm. when I'm thinking when you say arranger, I'm thinking like, okay, so that kind of makes sense in the podcast, right? Like, you're able to organize information, you're able to kind of figure out how, like, by being an by being an arranger, that would make you naturally a good planner. So, like, if I ever wanted like someone to be a project manager, I would want to call up someone who has an arranger type of quality, um, and, and then responsibility. Like you said, you already kind of alluded to this earlier when you said that you had responsibility to your sibling uh, and that you want to be that uh, role model and you take ownership. And only that too, like I also worked with you when, because I believe, I believe at one point in time you were part of FemCode, right? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Right. And I, and, I, and I was able to see kind of like how you were moving. And I mean, I, I know you did step down at a certain point, but prior to then you were, you were doing exactly what you needed to do. You know what I mean? Whatever the team needed from you, you were able to fully deliver when you realize that you had other things that you wanted to do, you kind of stepped down, but you made sure even when you stepped down, you found another person to kind of take your place. Um, and, that, and, that, and that was dope. And that was dope. And I feel like that takes a different type of person to kind of know how to make those moves and make those moves in a way that isn't fully disruptive to the team. And that's where the responsibility thing comes into play. Because you realize like at the end of the day, my name is tied to this. And because my name is tied to this, I want to make sure that when I leave it, I leave it in the best way possible. I feel like if you don't really have that understanding of responsibility or accountability, it's not going to lead you to, to think or even care so much to even um, allow for, for a smooth transition. So that's what I meant by I was able to see those two. Okay, cool. I just want to see how people view me because I know how I view me, but that might not always be the same as other people because they might see things I don't see. What's that? That, um, I always try to see how people view me because I'm, I know how I view myself, but then 
might not be the same as others because people always see things you don't see. That's why I always gonna ask, like, why? Mm-hmm. Oh, right, like the Jahari's window, where we talk about, like, the hidden self, the known self, the unknown self. Yeah. That makes sense. Understood. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, I also see how responsibility, like, there's times where, like, one time on my own summer job where everything was going wrong, and I just took, mm-hmm. like, granted, I'm the assistant, but I just took charge because, like, I have responsibility right. to students. And like, I just want to make sure they're safe and they get home mm-hmm. safe. And I was like, I was exhausted entirely after that, but, like, I just had that instinct, like, no, this is all going wrong. I'm going to take charge. I'm in charge now. And how also, like. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure you did, and I'm sure you did the roles really well as well. Yeah. That was exhausted, but, yeah. Everybody got home safe. And, 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 all, and also, you were saying? Um. Also, right Good. now, my like so I'm you got, you got you got your thing accomplished, and mm-hmm. how like my brain right now is just running, and my mom always telling me to slow down. You said right now what? My brain just running right now. I'm also thinking about five hundred things, mm-hmm. and my mom always telling me to slow down. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a good conversation. Mm-hmm. So I see your time is running down. So the last segment no, is... No, for sure, dude. For sure, mm-hmm. dude. And Right. You can go ahead. You want to say something? No, go um, for it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So the last segment is to name... No, I was, gonna, no go I was just going to say that with respect to the whole, you know, um, um, I'm running... running. Mm-hmm. Just last segment is to name your origin story. No, I was, saying, I was just saying like with respect to the whole running... Um, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Your origin, or, origin. To name your origin story oh. is the last segment. You keep, yeah, it just keeps oh. cutting it up. Go ahead. Okay, got it. Um, so, like, how would I name it? You're saying? Yeah. Uh, how would I name my origin story? I would say. Oof, that's a good question. How would I name it? Uh. The, oof. How would I name my origin story? Okay. Uh, the the poetic prince who wrote poems not for people to cry or to think, but for people to be inspired. Nice. So, well, thank you for doing the podcast again. <laughs> Any last things you want to say? Any promotions? My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Thank you for being interested. Um, yeah. I, I, I love what you're doing, Zig. I think this is awesome. I've been all, I've been, I've, I've also been, you know, following your podcast and listening to some of the different content that you have. Um, I think you're doing great with this. I really do look forward to seeing um, how far you're, you're able to take this. Um, and I look forward to listening to more podcasts. Um, and for everyone, anyone else who's listening, if you have an opportunity to, to join on this Less Gather podcast, make sure to sign up. Uh, Zeke is a great host, great person as well. Um, great personality, because I actually know Zeke personally outside of, outside of just this podcast. And, 
and my interactions with you have always been nothing but 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 uh amiable and friendly and you always like are smiling and, and i see you always talking to people and, and trying to trying to uh, get back in ways that you can so just keep doing what you're doing and um i'm proud of you and uh and i hope with respect to you saying that you wanted to figure out what you want to figure out hopefully you're able to do that soon and hopefully once you do figure out what you do want to do hopefully you're able to pass that knowledge on to certain people that are kind of going through that exact same um, trial and tribulation and also help you become like the better mentor uh, mentor figure that you wanted to be to your um, to your little sibling as well all right thank you have a nice day my pleasure see ya that brings another episode of the let's get podcast to a close i again like to thank zachary for coming on the show for next week i will be making a solo podcast to talk about how i'm processing the current state of the world I hope you continue to have a nice day and I hope to see you there.